turn your Bibles uh, to Acts chapter 2, and we're in verses 42 through 47. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. When we read this, I will actually start one verse before that, verse 41, but we won't actually start the passage until 42 through 47. If you remember, we've started this series going through the book of Acts now, and so last time we looked at Acts, we were looking at the first part of chapter 2 and the day of Pentecost, and we saw the Holy Spirit um, that, that descended and indwelled the believers, and we saw the powerful results of the Spirit within their lives. And so we as believers should remember that same Spirit dwells within us, and it is by the power of the Spirit that we should be living our lives. And we actually are overlapping with that passage today as we close looking at the results of this power, which was many people coming to salvation. And so as we look at this, we're going to start by remembering what happens. And and I just cannot encourage you enough that if you're doing a Bible study, whether it's your personal Bible study and it starts in a verse, if you're ever starting a passage, make sure you know what came before. You know, in, in Sunday school today, the, the first verse we're looking at starts with the word however. It, that, that passage doesn't make full sense unless you're going to read what comes before it. And so make sure you're aware, even if, if it's just a knowledge of it or, or going back and reading a few verses, put yourself in the right context. That's why I want to read 41 as we start today. So if you want to take your Bibles, the words are on the screen as well. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 people were added to them. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, as we spend some time looking at your word as we spend some time looking at what the believers in the early church were doing, the, the result of the gospel in their lives. God, I pray that you would help us to look at our lives, help us to consider our hearts, help us to, to look at how we live and, and how we gather as a body and what role we play in it. God, I pray that we would be able to honestly evaluate ourselves and, and to seek to respond to you today in obedience. God, I pray that you would be with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first part of this sermon is looking at the power of belief. The title being Gospel Results, the Power of Belief. And as I really began to look at this and to prepare for today, God impressed very firmly on me that that this is not about what the people did in this passage, but rather why they did what they did. You know, I've always loved this passage, this picture of the early church, a picture of what hopefully the church should be and can be, where we love one another, we gather together, we worship, we learn, and we care for one another. I think that's still a picture of what the church ought to be today, and we see that so often throughout the church, and and there's times where we don't see it in churches, and it's hard when we don't see it, and people don't live this out. But I I think the, the wrong thing to do is to focus on just what they are doing in this passage 
but rather why they are doing it, because why they are doing it led to what they are doing. And that's what we're going to talk about, the, the power of belief. And, and so this past week, I, I celebrated a birthday and am now the same age as the majority of the women in this church. Because you don't, but unfortunately next year I will have my 30th birthday and not my 29th take two. Um, but which it makes me realize, and as I was looking this up to, to give this example, 19 years ago, I heard a song for the first time that made me probably for one of the first times I can remember my life, seriously consider and think about my own mortality. So I would have been 10 years old, and there was a song that came out um, by Tim McGraw called Live Like You Were Dying. And if you remember this song, you've ever heard this song, here's what he says. He says, I was in my early 40s with a lot of life before me when a moment came that stopped me on a dime. Spent most of the next days looking at the x-rays and talking about the options, talking about sweet time. And I asked him when it sank in, that this might really be the real end. How's it hit you when you get that kind of news? Man, what'd you do? And he said, I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. I loved deeper. I spoke sweeter. And I gave forgiveness I'd been denying. And he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. So 10-year-old me in the back of my mom's white Pontiac, Montana, hearing that song, contemplating my impending death and tearing up a little bit, realized something, that when this guy in this song, hopefully a fictional song, but hopefully not in the way that people live their lives, but he, he realized something that we all know, we're all going to die. This became a real present reality that his death may not be the long lot of life before me, but it's coming pretty close. And so when this reality, this belief that he might die soon happened, what did he do? He lived the way that if you were to ask him, he would always have said that he wanted to live. When he believed that he would die, he lived like he was going to. And so here's the reality that we have to come to in our lives. Is there's a lot of things that we would say we believe, and maybe we do believe, but because those things seem far off, we don't live like them. And so this is a, a modern secular example, I think, of what we see in the book of Acts. When someone encounters a radical new idea that they believe, it will radically change the way they live their life. This man going about his life like everyone else believes all of a sudden he may die in the near future. And because he believes that, it changes everything about the way he lives his daily life. In the book of Acts, what we see here is a group of people that have believed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who was crucified and raised again. And it changes everything about how they live their daily life. The belief of the early church is what led to the actions of the early church. You see, there wasn't a place in here where Peter then says, Believe and be baptized, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Oh, also, then you need to act this way, do these things, do these certain things. This was a natural response to the belief in the gospel in their lives. And one of the hard things is that many times we view our faith as something that we are working for. We don't work for something as a believer, we work from it. 
So what do I mean? What do I mean by that? We aren't as many times in this life we're doing. You go to work to earn a paycheck. You go to work and save your money for retirement. We aren't working for something, for a future thing. We're working from something. Because of what Jesus has done for us, we can work from that, and we live our lives from a thankfulness, from a recognition of what He has done. Because of God's love for you, your life will look different. Not because your life looks different, God will love you. And that's the hard thing that we come to. How many people do you know that you've heard that, that hear the gospel and their result is, well, I've got to get my life together first. Your life change is not, a, is not something you do to please God, but is a result of God's work within you. When you truly understand and believe that the God who made you loved you enough to send his son to bring you back, to reconcile your relationship, to fix the mess you made, the only appropriate response is to want to get to know that God more that loved you so much. The only appropriate response is to, to love him. And if he says, hey, you're, in the, you're a part of this body now, it's to love those people because you realize the same thing is true about these people. But the reality of this is that it's, it's difficult at times to remember this because we are looking forward to something. It's not as though we have fully attained the promise at this moment, and we know we are working, looking forward to something. So we work from our belief that results in a God-honoring way of life that ends in our achieving the object of our belief in Christ Jesus and eternal life with Him. So for a moment, I want you to think about it in this way. It's almost as though we have a, 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 a the Christian life should be as though we are thinking about an Oreo, right? You got the chocolate cookie on one side, you got the, the, the cream filling in the middle, and you got the chocolate cookie on the other. And so if we're thinking about the Christian life, it is bookended and filled throughout with the work of God. Why are we a believer? Because God intervened. God has done this miraculous thing. That is the first side of this Christian life Oreo. God has done something fantastic. Jesus Christ has made a way for us to be saved. So if we are saved, there's going to be something between our salvation and our glorification, and it should be good. It should be good. If you ever took an Oreo out and there wasn't anything in the middle, you're going to be a little disappointed in what you found. And so the Christian life should be filled with life change, with something that is pleasing to those who encounter it, with something that is transformative to those who look upon it, that this is a pleasing thing because of what God has done. The first thing God has done, what God's done all in the middle of it, ending with never-ending life that goes on forever. And so this was not a group of people that just came together and had a bunch of rules that they followed. This was not a bunch of people that were obligated to come together every day and do these things. There was no one that was holding anyone to doing these things and saying you're out of the group if you don't live this certain way. This was a group of people that genuinely believed the gospel. And because they believed the gospel, there was life change in their life. There was change in their life because of it. This wasn't just a head knowledge. 
This was a genuine belief that produced a result. And I want to, I'm focusing on this so much, we haven't even really talked about what they did yet. Because without the belief, the other stuff doesn't matter. There are people that go to church, have been in church their whole life, and if you ask them, why do you think you'll go to heaven, their answer is, I think I'm a good person. I try to do the right things. And, and if somebody is not in church and you talk to them, hey, why haven't you been to church in a while? I know I ought to be there. Well, I'll make sure I get there. I know I need to be there. That's not what church is. Church is the body of believers. Why do we come together? Not because your parents brought you to church, not because your grandparents brought you to church, not because that's how you were raised, but because you genuinely believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who was raised from the dead and has accomplished your salvation. If you believe that, why would you not want to gather with the body of believers? Why would you not want to come together and sing His praises? As the song we looked at today, as the deer pants for the, wa- for the water, so my soul longs after you. This should be the cry of our hearts that we want to know this God. We want to be with other people who know this God because of what we've believed in. And the reality of that belief <coughs> is that it does produce results. A powerful belief like that will produce results. It should produce results in the life of a believer. And the, the thing we see displayed beautifully is that when people genuinely believe in God and allow Him to transform the way of living, and, and when they're filled with the Holy Spirit and, and they're following the Spirit's leading, they just so happen to naturally do what God calls us to do. Matthew twenty two thirty five through 40 says this, And one of them, when Jesus is being questioned, one of them, an expert in the law, asked a question to test him. Teacher, which command is the, in the law is the greatest? He said to him, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The law and prophets depend on, on these two commands. And so here we see the greatest commandment and the second greatest commandment, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and other places in the Bible includes strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Broken down into its simplest form, love God and love people. All the law and the prophets hang on these two. And in this passage, we see the natural expression of fulfilling these two commandments. We see these people loving God. The result of their belief is to love God. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And now when you initially read that, it sounds like there's both of those in there, but I think all of those things talk about loving God, commitment to growth in their walk with God. When you understand what God has done in Jesus, you're going to want to get to know more about who this God is, and what He's done for you, what He wants for you, and how you ought to live. You're going to want to grow closer in your relationship with Him. And so they are committed to diligently seeking to grow in their knowledge and understanding. It says they devoted themselves. I want to explain it. This is not that they had a small devotion each day. 
and that was all they thought about it. This was not that they went to church every once in a while and, and listened to the sermon. They devoted themselves to learning the, to, to the apostles' teaching. What was the apostles' teaching? The teaching of Jesus. Because what does Jesus entrust them to? Teach them everything I commanded you. And so they're devoted to learning about the God that has loved them, to learning about this truth about what God has done through Jesus. So they're committed to growing in their walk with God. That's loving God through this commitment. They're committed to the body of Christ, to the fellowship. I want you to understand that when you engage in the body of Christ, this is not about dealing with other people, your relationships with other people. This is a a part of loving God. Because the Bible says that the, the church is the bride of Christ. It's his body, it's the bride of Christ, to be presented to him spotless and pure. And so you cannot say that you are seeking to love God with all you are without engaging in the body that he has set up as, as, his, as, as the body of Christ, as the bride of Christ. You have to be involved with the body of Christ to seek to love God because we can't be truly faithful unless we are being faithful and active members of his body. We also see later that they devote themselves to meeting together in the temple, gathering together, doing these things, not just for relational benefit, which is there, but because it honors God through our participation in the body of Christ. We see that they also broke the breaking of bread. They had the breaking of bread, and, and we, we, we think about this, and today we're going to be uh, participating in the Lord's Supper, and likely this is what their idea, their, their breaking of bread was to mean, was this idea of gathering together and remembering the work of Christ at the Lord's Supper in the way he commanded them to. That they would gather, and then every time they gather, they're going to fellowship. And when they fellowship, they're going to break bread. And when they break the bread, they're going to remember Christ's body broken for them. They're going to remember his blood shed for them. And they're going to celebrate and be thankful and live from that. And we see prayer, how they were praying together, seeking further understanding of God's will for their life, seeking God through prayer, praying, seeking Him in their life, loving God in that way. And later we see this idea of praising God, being thankful, being joyful for all of the work He has already done, giving God the praise and the honor He deserves. And I think when we, when we look at this passage and how they are loving God, it embodies what God told the people of Israel when they were undergoing some punishment in Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. They were seeking God and they were searching for God with all their heart and God was among them, moving powerfully among them because they were loving God with all they were. And God's presence was active in that. So that's the first part, the first commandment. They're they're living that out, loving God. And the next we see that they also loved people. Because the second command is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And this passage says, Now the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house to house. We said they loved each other because they shared life together. They shared life together. 
I think one of the hardest things at times in, in the American church is that there's times where for many relationships in the body of Christ, it is only connected by and only tied to when they meet together on Sundays. And then if you miss this Sunday, they miss the next Sunday. That's a month almost that you've gone by without communing and fellowshipping. What were they doing? Daily meeting together, sharing their life with one another. Now, if you remember, there were 3,000 added to their number daily. I don't think all 3,000 were checking in on the other parts of the 3,000. I don't think there were all these interconnected. There were parts of it. And so in the body of Christ, it's not saying that if you don't know everyone's name and you don't meet with them every day and you don't spend every waking moment with them that you're in the wrong, but the body of Christ needs to regularly be connecting to and and loving one another. We're supposed to be sharing life together. Our strongest bonds in this world, when we believe the truth of the gospel, should be with people that have believed the same truth in the gospel. We have other bonds, but we know that, man, these are the people we get to celebrate what's going to happen with because of what's done right now. Meeting daily. They shared their life together. We also see radical generosity in the body of Christ. They begin to express a love for each other that goes beyond what is common among people. They genuinely loved their neighbor as themselves. They loved their neighbor more than their possessions because they were willing to sell their possessions to take care of those that were in need. It reminds me of, of a story that maybe you've all seen. I've seen it not too long ago because we've got little ones, but uh, Mickey and Minnie has a Christmas episode where they kind of retell the story of the gift of the Magi. And Mickey has a harmonica that he loves, and Minnie has a gold watch that she loves. And so Mickey, because he wants to get a gold chain for Minnie's watch, sells his harmonica so he has the money to buy her this gift he knows will be so meaningful. And Minnie, in order to get a very nice case for his harmonica, knowing how much that would mean to him, sells her watch to be able to afford this case. So when the time comes that they're going to exchange gifts, they both give each other a gift that is for something that they've already sold. And they realize that the greatest gift is their love that they have for one another. And so this is a story that's supposed to be about people who are in a loving relationship, right? That they care enough about each other to give up what they prize because their, their love is greater than their possessions. But what's happening in the Bible here, what's happening in this story, is that people are, it's not people that they're married to or, or seeking to marry. It's not someone that's in their family that they're blood related to. This is people that they are in the body of Christ with, that when there's a need and they know about it and they have the means to, or they have the ability to have the means to, they take care of and meet each other's needs. Now, there's a lot of layers to this. People in the body are coming to the body with their needs. That's a, that's a very important part of it, is that part of doing life together is sharing our struggles and difficulties so that the body can come in and lift one another up. But as we see in, in the book of James, that we can't, when someone comes and it's like if someone's cold and in need of a coat, well, go and be warm and be well-fed. Praying for you. That is not loving our neighbor. Because here's the reality. Which one of us, if we'd fallen on hard times, would not sell our possessions to ensure our ability to survive? And the reality is that if we want to love our neighbors ourselves, as they loved their neighbors themselves, that's what they did. Because they viewed 
the other members of the body of Christ as an extension of themselves. They recognized their place, their role in the body of Christ and the call to love their neighbor as himself as they love God with all they are. And in many ways, this embodies Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. We see this happening. Here's the reality. It's not hard to be a Christian. It's not hard to follow God. It's not complicated. Believe the gospel. Love God with all you are. Love people as yourself. If you're, if you're seeking to do those things as they did, you're going to find yourself doing things that are quoted in Scripture. When they sold their possessions and gave to the poor, they're not, they don't, Philippians hasn't even been written yet. But out of, no, they didn't have any selfish ambition, but out of humility considered others as more important than themselves. They embodied the Scripture in their life. But as we see this, these are the results of the gospel in the life of these individuals, that when they come together, we see these results in their life. And so next we see the results that happened because of this. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. And so what do we see from this? The Lord provides the results. The beautiful thing about when we proclaim the gospel, when we seek to be obedient to him, is that we are not depending upon our ability to convince someone to win an argument. Our passage in Sunday school this morning reminds you of that. When we're, the, the passage that preluded our Sunday school this morning is what reminded us of that. That how when Paul went to the Corinthians, he didn't come in power, he didn't come in cunning wisdom or speech, but in the power of God and knowing Jesus Christ and Him crucified, so that their, their faith would be a result of God's power, not human cunningness. And so when we go and we share the gospel, we proclaim it, we trust that the Spirit of God works, moves through what we say, we trust that the Spirit of God works in convicting, and we trust God with the results. Because it says, the Lord added to their number those who are being saved. But here's what we do see, very clearly, all throughout Scripture that God moves among and through those who are faithfully following Him. God moves among and through those who are faithfully following Him. There's times where God moves in spite of His people being ignorant, in spite of His people being stubborn, but that is for their detriment in not participating in the glory. So if you find yourself being aware of God doing something and you're being disobedient, that's usually not a good thing. Usually God's glory is at your expense and not through your participation. But the beautiful thing is that God will come alongside people like us, who when we will present the gospel, we'll do it in a way that is not perfect. We will do it in a way that is not, uh, not, um, not the most cunning or, or, or wise way to say it at times. But that God, because of His Spirit's power, will still move because we're seeking to be faithful and obedient. And when we see a, pe- a group of people that are individually seeking to respond to God's work in their life come together collectively responding to God's work in their life, it resulted in, a gr- in the community having the gospel saturated and the gospel being spread. When individuals seek God, they come together to seek God. And when they do that, 
the gospel will be spread because they will disperse to spread the gospel as well. As I said before, being a Christian is not hard. Or being a Christian is not complicated, rather. But it is hard. It's hard to do. It's not hard to understand. It's not complicated. But it is difficult. It's costly. That's why when many people said that they were going to come and follow Jesus, he made it clear the cost it would take. And many turned away and didn't follow him any longer. But it's not complicated. Believe the gospel understand and know that you are a sinner that has been saved by the work of Christ who is the son of God who died on the cross for your sins paid the price you couldn't pay the death you deserved but was raised again believe that and if you believe that it should result in you loving God and you loving people in your life so I want to challenge you this morning where are you in this scenario If you were to look at this equation, do you believe the gospel? Do you believe in the work of what Jesus has done for your salvation and and in that alone for your salvation? And and I proclaim that because I, I know there are people in this world that would profess Christ that have never truly believed. Do you believe in Christ for your salvation? Have you trusted that? Now, if you believe that, if your answer to that question is yes, do you see the evidence of your belief in how you love God? Is there an expression of that belief in how you love God? If I were to ask you, do you think you'll die one day? The answer is yes. But just like we looked at that song earlier, that man would have said the same thing before he believed he might die soon. The way he lived was very different. And so is there a difference in your life? Is there a noticeable evidence of your belief in how you love God? Do you see the evidence of your belief in how you love people? Because that evidence is what's... If there's no evidence there, there's one of two problems. Either you didn't truly believe, or you've got a major discipleship problem. And the Apostle Paul deals with that in 1 Corinthians, that how there's these, there are deeper wisdoms for those who are mature, but how he has to not give them any of these deep wisdoms and give them spiritual milk because they're infants. There are many Christians who remain infants until the time of their physical death. And so either you've never believed, and that's, that's for you to figure out, to decide with God, or you are a spiritual infant that needs to grow. And so my hope is that you do believe. My hope is that you can look at some evidence and that you would be obedient to how God is calling you to greater faithfulness today. I believe until the the day we get called home, there's always a way we can seek to love God more, to be more faithful to Him, to love people more, to be more Christ-like in our interactions because we have a greater understanding of what we believe in. We want to be obedient to that. But I'll ask again, do you believe this morning? If, you, if your answer today is that you've never believed, you realize that I don't know that I have that belief. I don't know that I have placed my faith in Christ. I've been, I've been trying to be good enough. I've been just trying to do the right things. If that is you this morning, ask God to save you. Seek salvation that is only found in Christ. But if you have believed this morning, 
What is God calling you to do to be more faithful to him this morning? So that when we all come together as people seeking God individually, collectively, it looks like this. And I'll tell you, I've seen some beautiful moments of, of God, how God has worked in this church among people who love God, come together and love one another. But the one thing I know is that God will always do more if we seek Him faithfully. So when you, you'll find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Is that what you're doing today? Becky's going to come and we're going to have a time of invitation. And following that time of invitation, we're going to be partaking in the Lord's Supper. And so what I would invite you to do is to seek to respond to those things. Do you believe this morning? If not, I would implore you to deal with that. I'll be down front for prayer. I would love to talk to you. If you do believe, are you being obedient? What would God, God be calling you to do today to grow in greater obedience to Him? And as we approach the Lord's Supper, begin to prepare your heart through worship and reflection to remember together what God has done for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us, this time that we can come together, this time that we can worship you and just look at your word. And God, I pray that as we reflect on our lives, you would show us how we can be more obedient to you, how we can believe more fully in our lives the truth of what Jesus has done, that it would convict us so, so real, in such a real way in our lives, that we would respond in a way that looks like what happened in Acts chapter 2, that we would love you with all that we are, that we would love each other with all that we have, and that, that as a result of that, you would add to your number those who are being saved. God, I pray that if anyone here does not believe this morning, that today will be the day they would turn for you, turn to you for their salvation. God, I pray that you would move among us. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope this sermon has been a blessing to you today. If you have any questions about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you through our church Facebook page, email, or by calling the church office.